I'm Amanda Leitner, and welcome to Rochester Rising, where we amplify the stories of Rochester entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 211 of the podcast. So Rochester Rising, both our podcast and our online storytelling platform, launched over four years ago. And the goal was to tell stories that weren't being told about entrepreneurship, innovation, and creative business development taking place in Rochester, Minnesota. We release a new podcast every Wednesday, talking with a different entrepreneur and learning about their journey. In addition to the podcast, we release a new article every Thursday with that same entrepreneur, just showcasing a short snippet of the conversation in the podcast. So you can check it out there before or after you listen in to learn more stories of entrepreneurship and innovation taking place here in our community. So thanks so much for sharing some of your time with us today. We hope you can each take away something from this conversation to apply to what you're thinking about or what you're growing here in the Rochester community or anywhere else. On the podcast today, I got to have a wonderful conversation with local creative innovator Amaryllis Henderson. This entrepreneur was born in Puerto Rico, but really lived all over the U.S. and the world, including spending time in Dallas, D.C., Savannah, and China before moving to Rochester with her family. Amaryllis always had an interest in art, which was spurred by her love for Disney movies. In the conversation today, we talk about her journey with art and her time spent with animation, illustration, print design, surface design, and painting plus the evolution of what she calls her watercolor devotionals and her new book coming out this spring. So stay tuned for this really fun conversation with Amaryllis. So as I mentioned, a brand new Rochester Rising podcast comes out every Wednesday. You can listen in wherever you prefer to consume podcast content, including straight from our website at rochesterrising.org. You can also listen in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our YouTube channel. So check it out. We have over 211 episodes for you. So there's something for everybody. So check back in with past podcasts, future podcasts, and we hope you subscribe and continue to listen in. Rochester Rising is the storytelling arm of the nonprofit Collider, which is a Rochester-based organization that supports early stage entrepreneurs. You can learn more about Collider and what we have to offer to the community at collider.mn. All right, so now we'll launch right into today's conversation with Amaryllis Henderson. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate your time on this evening. It's actually, I was thinking when I was walking in my house, it's incredible how much it warmed up today. I feel like it was minus 10 this morning and now it's like close to 40 degrees. It's amazing. So weird. Uh, I haven't been outside. I see the sunshine and I'm like, I should really go for a walk and take advantage of that because I'm going to feel it tomorrow if it's not around, but. I think it's actually still going to be nice tomorrow, but yeah, just weird things, but living in the upper Midwest, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take advantage for sure. So I wanted to start out by learning more about you. So would you mind sharing you know, where you're from, some hobbies, interests, basically what makes you, you? Okay. Well, I am Amaryllis. I think starting off with my name is a fitting way to begin because it's spelt in Spanish and misspelt. So it is a flower um, that you'll see around Christmas time. 
But I was uh, born in Puerto Rico. My family's Puerto Rican. My parents divorced. And so actually I came to the States and would spend my summers in Puerto Rico. And so I've always had that kind of um, mixed upbringing, uh, not ever feeling like one place is home. And I used to see that as such a negative, and now I appreciate that. Um, I have always been interested in art. People ask me what my hobbies are, and I can tell you what I'll do on a Friday or Saturday night if everything is you know, just right for me. We would go salsa dancing, we would eat good food, I'd have a glass of wine, and I can tell you that, how I like to have a good time. But really when it comes down to when I have free time, I pretty much just do the same thing and I just paint. Uh, part of the reason is because I paint for all the reasons. So I paint for work, I, I paint for fun, and I paint when I'm having big feelings and I paint uh, as part of my Christian devotion time. So that's a lot of painting. So my poor boys, I have two boys uh, in third and fifth grade now. And they just think that I'm painting all the time. And that's just what I do. That's about it. It's a really quick introduction. <laughs> I think that's super fair. I think when you find something you're like really passionate about and it's just your outlet for everything, that's, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you start doing it for work, then you also have to make time for it to be fun and to kind of nurture that creative part of you if it's not getting that. Yeah, that's really true because you're kind of, you know, probably commissioned to do some stuff, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more, but you know, you have things that you have to do, but then you have to do some things for yourself. So it's kind of finding that balance and making sure that you're still finding that connection and that passion and, and kind of driven to do it. So I think that mm -hmm. totally. I very much understand that. I've had that same experience with writing. <laughs> where mm. you, start, you start to not like it because of all that you, you know, have to do with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that paid the bills. So <laughs> you got to do that. So yeah. you went from Puerto Rico to now Rochester. So how did you get here and what kind of keeps you in the community? Yeah, I, um, I've lived in a few places between then and now, uh, lived in the DC area in Atlanta and Chicago, Dallas, went to school in Savannah, Georgia, and, um, went back to Dallas got married. We lived in China and now we're back here in Minnesota. And by back, it's not, it's my first rodeo. It's my first time in Minnesota, but I've only been here. Uh, I actually have been, what I was thinking is I've been here for a while, uh, almost eight years now, but my husband is from here. So he was born and raised in Rochester, went to Mayo High, and uh, I told him to to never make me move here. And here we are. But um, it was all, you know, I actually accepted or even expected to move to Rochester well before he did. So it's kind of funny when, um, when we were moving back from China, we were just caught in this limbo. And he was looking for work everywhere. So we met in art school at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And so I'm the art, he's the design and he does industrial design. He was looking for work in, it was narrowed down to having second interviews in Ohio, Kansas City, and Shanghai. And then I think just a week or two later, it ended up being Rochester. So um, the, yeah, the process for him starting to work at Benchmark went fast. 
And, and during that transition time, we were actually living with his parents. So we were already in town. I had, we had a uh, three, four-year-old at the time, hadn't adopted our second. So we have one biological, one adopted. And I was just kind of like, okay, let's do this. Um, and I've, I've come to really enjoy Rochester. There've been mo- moments when we've thought about moving uh, and I've realized that I would be trying to replicate what I have here elsewhere, except for the weather part, but everything else will be just about the same as what I already have. So pretty grateful for it. So it wasn't one of those, we're only going to be here for a few months and it turned into a few years. You like knew you were going to be here for a while. I think, I think that's how it happens. Yeah. I've heard (laughs) a lot of residents say the same thing, Uh, but I think, yeah, and I think that's just kind of how it happens in general, right? Definitely. Definitely. You think you're only going to do this thing for a little bit of time and then it ends up being, you know, yeah, you just stay. And like you said, you'd basically be, I felt the same thing. I was going to be here for seven months. It's been, it's been 14 years this summer. (laughs) Great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you just, (laughs) like you said, like there'd have to be a pretty good reason to Uh leave at this point. And you'd mm-hmm. have to replicate basically everything, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that you had here, which would be a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Could be done, but, you know, then there's that, just that next level of barrier. Yeah. And then is it worth it? Right? Why? Exactly. Exactly. I would like some nicer weather too, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, the silver linings, right? Silver linings. <laughs> So I wanted to understand more about your journey with art. So how did you originally get started? How has that kind of changed over time? Um, And you've lived in a lot of different places too. So has that kind of inspired um, your, your journey with art as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, I was that girl definitely sitting in the back of the classroom with a sketchbook Uh, and, you know, teachers didn't bother me too much about it because my grades were okay. So uh, that, that was me. And then I got into theater, <laughs> uh, for, I don't know, for a few years, but, um, my journey with art, it's, it's just when I was, I feel like it's, it's a bit of a common story, loving Disney movies, mom, I want to do that. And she tells me, we were actually living in Atlanta at the time. And she tells me there's a school actually not far from here. That's the best. And I signed up for only the best art school even though I'm not real sure that there aren't other contenders. I'm a little wiser by now, but um, that was really the only uh, application I filled out. And I moved from animation to illustration pretty quickly when I realized how much work was put into animation. And I'm glad I did because uh, I would have had to relearn how to animate differently by now anyway. And I also just love that illustration so flexible. I can be anywhere. Now, when I went to school, illustration was basically children's books, maybe medical illustration, maybe some posters, some commercial art from time to time. But I wasn't aware of what I'm working in now. Um, and and that, that also, that came with time as that industry grew, then I grew to learn about it. But... Um, my journey going back to college, I did some freelance illustration work, um, did some books and 
when I was going to get married, my mom gave me the good advice that maybe I should have some stable work to cut down on some of the conflicts of early marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Total mom thing>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I went into print design, graphic design. I remember I interviewed and they asked me, do you know Illustrator? And I was, I was like, yeah, I mean, I knew it. Okay. Um, I wasn't really prepared to work in it. But they, they were like, great, we have this problem. Can you come right over? And I, I had to go to somebody's cubicle and tinker around in their files and figure out what problem they were having. And I passed the test and I got the job. So I, I worked in print design for a couple of years while freelancing still. Uh, but I kind of burnt out creatively uh, because I was... I became so focused on the finished product, which is what graphic design is about. You know, I mean, when I do graphic design work from time to time, I will tell a client, you know, don't worry, I'm a yes man. I understand that, you know, what you want and, and I will do it, but I'll do it better. And hopefully than what you expect, but that kind of grind, uh, wore me out. And when I would approach the paper to paint, I just felt like I couldn't do anything. So um, I didn't do very much uh, art. And this was actually when we moved to China. And I would do it as some sort of like emotional release. And it was never great work. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was just me feeling through paints. And I didn't start really painting again until I had my firstborn son. That's when I really lost sense of who I was and I needed to paint again. So, um, and I needed to paint fast. I had to paint within nap time. And, and I started um, combining my devotion time. My, I, would, I would read the Bible, I would pray, I would sing. I would just like, kind of like try to recall again who I was other than a nursing mom that rolled over every few hours. Um, and I remember I'd walk out of the office that we had, a guest bedroom really. And my husband would, you know, he was a little concerned and he was like, Oh, what did you do in there? <laughs> and, I was, and I, and I, that's when I kind of made up the word. Oh, I, I just did a watercolor Devo. So it was just me bringing watercolor, which is a fast, uh, kind of a natural go-to for me. Um, I didn't respect it very much early on because it wasn't cool. It's cool now. So yay. Uh, and then uh, combined it with my devotion time. So I just said, I did a watercolor Devo, kind of like, get off my back. It's awkward. Um, and, and over time I started sharing those and then that became prints and that became an Etsy shop. And then that became, how did you do that on Instagram? Uh, a few YouTube videos. And then I looked into how to really teach. And that's when I found Skillshare and started teaching just five years ago. But um, through all this at the same time, I was also approaching companies to do licensing work. And so the industry that I was talking about earlier is called surface design. And it's basically art that goes on stuff, art that covers surfaces. It could be um, a pattern. So it could be fabric. It could be a tablecloth. You walk into TJ Maxx, you're going to start noticing that there's art on every uh, kitchen towel and every plate and mug. And I'm looking and around right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's what I do. 
you know, you see a, I don't know, a cat on a mug and you're like, I don't know. I just have to have this mug because of this cat. And, and, uh, yeah, a lot of holiday and that's okay with me. I can listen to Christmas music all year round. No problem. Yeah. I was actually, when I was, um, yeah, doing a new search for you, I came across, um, oh my, my mind is blanking wrapping paper. Yeah. (laughs) Wrapping paper on like one of the top Minnesota gifts or list or something. So, so that's what surface design is. I did not know that. No, it's (laughs) okay. And I mean, I still call it commercial art because it's, I don't know, maybe I'm too old school, but (laughs) Uh, also I think surface design, it sounds, I don't know. I feel like it lost the art part, I guess. (laughs) is is my problem with it but anyway yeah you're talking about minnesota monthly that was fun and i actually got those printed uh in rochester um from friends Rupert graphics so it was fun to produce wallpaper sell it yeah i think that sounds yeah quite quite a journey (laughs) quite a kind of exploration and you know um exploring different different avenues yeah so can you dive a little bit more into kind of those different revenue streams that you kind of built up for yourself that you were talking about there because I would imagine too like getting trying to find like landing a surface contract or commercial art deal is probably really challenging to Mm -hmm. do what are, can you dive more into some of these things that you've kind of built up over time for people listening who might have similar aspirations? Yeah. And, um, when it comes to kind of different income streams, I used to think that, uh, that was a sign of weakness that I'm not doing well enough in this area. So I've got to diversify and do all these different things and wear all these different hats. And, it can be a fail if it's not you. If you're not actually enjoying it, then why are you setting up your life to kind of get more and more into this industry, right? So it does take a bit of dabbling. Uh, I remember when I had the Etsy shop and, and, and some of these things were just kind of by mistake in a way. It was someone asked for something. I was in China. I needed to figure out how to get it into their hands in the States and I, I, I did, and then we had to figure out, you know, payment or whatever. And so I started that shop, and it wasn't like, I'm going to do this. So uh, some of these were stumbled upon, but um, I remember I, at that point, you know, I had a preschooler, and um, my husband Ryan had started working full-time again. And I remember thinking, I, if I can just make at that time, it was $700 a month. I'm going to make it, you know, we can make this. And I remember for months and probably longer than that, uh, it was, it took a long time to, to get to that point. And then, uh, when that started, when I fulfilled that, when I fulfilled that goal, I remember thinking just kind of the power of, oh, so I proposed to do this and it worked out. It doesn't always, right. But but there is something about making that intention. And, and that's when I saw uh, the, the demand starting to increase for learning to, to paint. And I look at my earlier videos and I, I can't stand watching them, but people still watch them. And that's so I, I don't take them down, but, um, you know, it was definitely a learning process. And so I started to look at different ways that I could teach online 
uh, people ask me, did you consider YouTube? And I did throw a couple of things up on YouTube, but I never really, um, thought that would pan out because I knew that you needed to be somewhere well into, I don't know, astronomical numbers before you can monetize, uh, YouTube and, you know, fair enough. But, um, I was, you know, not, <laughs> I was not patient enough for that. So I started looking at other platforms, uh, and there are just all these teaching platforms. Uh, I, I found Skillshare and I just felt like for lack of a better expression, I just felt like I liked the vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, lynda.com felt really stale to me. Other course places, they felt too salesy, uh, like buy this course. And well, you know, I just, I just didn't jive with it. And I saw also that there was a bit of a hole, uh, in what I could offer. It wasn't saturated quite yet. There are only two other watercolor teachers. And I thought, okay, well, this is a risk in that either these people aren't here and they're not looking here, or I could, you know, offer something that they don't have very much of. So I was fortunate in that respect. With surface design, it was, um, as I started to get interested in, in all things art, I just was consuming all the podcasts, all the blogs, all the Facebook groups and, and that's, that's all I had to learn from. I remember, um, was it Vine videos or longer? Oh, Periscope. Watched a lot of Periscope interviews. And, and there are some um, bigger game players that basically just teach you, hey, you can make a career from art. Um, and I took a couple of those classes. But really what I learned the most from was uh, getting a, an agent. And so I read a blog about how to get an agent and it was five years old and I still recommend it now uh, because what I did was I looked at her list of agencies and I went to their websites and I kind of like ranked them like green, yellow, red. (laughs) Like I would really like this one or this one's okay. It would be okay. And it, it was just based on the other artists that they had and in what company I'd be in and what kind of stuff they did, right? So some agencies are focused on more traditional art, a lot of, um, yeah, it's funny because I could describe my work the same way. So using words is kind of hard, but uh, harvest themes, right? So you've got like a lot of fall leaves and the kind of design that you see on paper plates at Hobby Lobby. Um, And not a disc there, but that was like all they had. And I thought, I want something else. I want more variety. So I I ended up with an agency that honestly didn't leave uh, a lot financially, but I I got the expertise. So it was like, I was getting paid a little bit for learning the ropes. And, and so, you know, you count some things as your tuition (laughs) or if if you're lucky enough, you get to get paid, but it's not, um, what you really deserve. And so I, I cut the contract when it was time. Uh, what was difficult is that I couldn't, um, I had to be cold for a year, which meant that I, I couldn't um, contact those clients. I could look for new work, but I had to be pretty careful how I would tread. So, and I couldn't use any existing work. So I used that year in the dark to create a lot of artwork and I saved up and went to my first trade show. These um, surface design trade shows 
typically happen once a year. There's uh, maybe a handful of different ones. Uh, some focus more on like apparel, textiles, or home decor, or greeting cards, um, the stationary show. And I, I went to those trade shows and I tried to shake as many hands as I could and then built up my little black book from there, from that in LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all about finding that network, right. And leveraging it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure finding an agent, like you said, you know, they take such a big cut. I can't even imagine, you know, I know even the only thing I really know much about is, you know, wholesale wholesale and retail selling. And most people don't appreciate that, you know, when a small food producer goes into a store, the actual store takes 40 to 50% of the sticker price. And it sounds unfair until you think about, well, I mean, it kind of is, but Mm. you know, you're basically buying the eyes of their customer, you know? Mm. So do you want to make the sale or do you not want to make the sale? You know, that's kind of what it comes down to, but it had to be really, um, yeah, really um, trusting to find somebody to, you know, mm-hmm. help get your name out there and, and finding that that right fit, like you said, that had a lot of the mm-hmm. style that you fell into instead of, you know, what else you see out there. So it had to be a very, very challenging decision to, to come to. It was, and it's, it's hard, no matter at what stage you're at, to send those emails out to make those cold calls, and um, I didn't know what I was doing, and I don't think, the thing is that as much as we can teach best practices, um, they're as best as we know, and so every, I, I imagine that these agencies are receiving all kinds of different inquiries, you know, maybe a really long email with a couple of images, maybe some, you know, some people include these massive PDFs. And again, you know, you just, it was kind of a stab in the dark, but I, I tried to be a little calculative about it in that, you know, I went for the ones that I really wanted first and kind of moved down the line. Uh, the waiting game is definitely real. It's hard. Um, but it makes you tough because you're going to have to keep selling Uh, whatever it is that you're offering over the span of your business, whether no matter what you do, whether I still had, if I still had an agent, I would still go to these trade shows and, and shake hands and sell my work and sell other artists work. So it's, it's good to just get that out of the way because it's not going to get any easier (laughs) to -hmm. put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you do a lot of teaching where did you find kind of that passion? Did you always want to teach or what did you see the opportunity and the need to um, share that, share that skill set with others? Yeah. It still feels a little bizarre to call myself a teacher because when people ask me to teach a workshop or something, I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I do them only you know, very sporadically, um, but not, it's not like it's something that I just jumps out of me. Yet I can talk to a camera by myself here in my studio pretty comfortably. And so that's how I found like, oh, okay, well, I can, I can do this. Uh, the tech part is the hard part, the tricky part. Um, I recorded classes where the audio did not work at all. It was just such a, a total waste of time. It was awful. I've recorded ones that I look back on. And I'm like, ah, that was uh, whatever. But um, 
it's not, yeah, it's not something that comes naturally, but I do find myself in a bit of a pattern where if someone asked me, how did you do that? The next time I do it, I'm hearing myself talk in my head and I'm narrating how I'm doing it. So the best time to teach is actually not when you have arrived, whatever that means, and you're a master. It's actually good to teach when things are fresh in your mind, when you just learn something and you remember what it feels like to not know how to do that thing so that you can bridge the gap between how to do it and you know, to go from I couldn't and now I can and so I, I appreciate that these, you know, this platform I can, and, and really if I wanted to teach on my own website, which I do have um, some courses there too, those are a little more in depth, but with the Skillshare classes, it's just like, Hey, you want to do a reindeer? Let's do a reindeer done. Um, and, and they're a little more complex than that, but uh, the gist of it is that discovery that like, that moment. And so if I think of it that way, I like to teach. But when I think of it as teaching, I don't know. I, I mean, right now I'm, I'm teaching my kids at home and it's, I am very much in tune with the fact that I don't want to be a teacher. That's just not my bag. So, uh, yeah, that's how I frame it at least. I think that's a good way to put it. And I think you know, a lot of, at least like when I was going through elementary school, middle school, high school, it was more about like memorize, memorization than like actually mm. like applying. So I love that yeah. idea of the discovery and yeah. like stretching your limits to like achieve something and understanding what's in yourself. So I, I really love that way of thinking about it. Yeah. Like uncovering. I, I can do that. I remember, um, yeah, I never did birds before. I, I tried a couple of birds and I didn't do very well. And I just thought, I, I don't want to say that anymore. So I kept trying at it. And, and then I discovered, oh, okay. I kind of like broke the code, whatever that meant for me. And that feeling, like being able to help somebody else have that feeling, it's pretty fun. I can get behind that. It is like super challenging too, though. Like, are you recording the video and the audio completely yourself? Do you have any, any help? Like, does your husband come in and like set up the camera or are you doing this like, all yourself? <laughs> My husband wants to help, but he just does not have the time. Uh, and so whenever I, I have contracted help um, and uh, yeah, he's just like, but I can do it. Like, when are you going to do it when you're keeping the boys away <laughs> from, from the space? Uh, yeah, I, I do get help from time to time. Most of what I do is, myself be especially I mean it's all about planning so you can bring others into your vision if you have a really laid out clear vision and so a lot of us don't work that way or maybe don't work in advance enough so um, I will hire if I am um, really feeling self-conscious about my setup and I want to be lit well the last class I just did was yesterday (laughs) with Uh, a couple of guys here. And um, the reason I asked for help was because it was about setting up your studio space, your creative space, uh, how your surroundings in your creative space affect your mental, metaphorical, emotional, creative space. And so I was using my hands and I was grabbing things and it wasn't like a step-by-step, okay, we're going to do this, camera, over my desk, camera at my face. 
I, I like to have both angles. It's something that I feel like, you know, you just want to connect as much as you can. And I think we understand that now in this COVID era, right? Like we don't love Skype, but it's the best we can do. So um, there's, we'll use what we can. So I, I'm used to that setup, but when I get beyond that or I start to feel a little uneasy, yes, I ask for help. So you have a book coming out this spring, right? Yeah. Yeah. Drawing and painting expressive little animals. I had to make sure I got that right. Super, <laughs> you super cool. me to say it. I can say it. <laughs> Looks super cute and thank you. Complex for me. But can you talk a little bit about um, what the book is and talk a little bit about how did you how are you how did you publish that here in the community? What was that process like? Last year I published my first book, Express Painting. Right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Drawing and painting expressive little faces. Uh, and, and so this year in 2021, I'll release ex- Drawing and Painting Expressive Little Animals. And I want to go straight to expressive little faces, expressive little animals. That's how we will regard them here on out. Um, I, I, the, so <laughs> backtracking, one of my Skillshare classes uh, got somebody's attention and they they said, hey, we want to, we want you to pitch this as a book. And I thought, cool. I never thought about that. Uh, and I never knew how to met, meet you kind of people, right? So that, that was a great break. It didn't happen. And yet um, what I'm finding is when I have a setback like that, I just think, you know what? I want to do it myself. And so I, uh, I was just on the lookout for a publisher that, I would like that could publish my content. And I, and I pitched it as, Hey, I already have it laid out. If you want to see how I teach, if you want to see the principles, if you want to see an outline, it's all here. And then I will supply that. Um, If you ever do want to pitch a book, it's really not that complicated. You need to um, have a table of contents, kind of your index, your, your um, outline laid out an excerpt of your writing and, um, and then, you know, things about you, the author bio, that sort of thing. Of course, it is harder, you know, to, for, to hear if you get accepted. You don't hear back if it's a no. And so it's like, I don't know, dating in the wild. It's just, you, <laughs> you don't get no, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I have... You know, I have to credit an app that I use that helps me uh, remember to follow up with people uh, because it's hard enough to get that out there. But then to uh, a month later say, hey, remember Mm -hmm. me? Um, I have to set up those reminders or else I won't do it. And so um, Express a Little Faces was a Skillshare class before it became a book. And it's even hard for me to call them the same thing because it is so different to write than it is to just talk and teach uh, the way that I do. It's a lot easier to do the second one, I think, than to sit down and write. Um, what would you say, Amanda? Because hmm. your, your wheelhouse um, is writing. Yeah, and I also teach. Mm. <laughs> so... I, yeah, that's a good question because 
what you said before totally resonates with me is that you need to be closer to like the start or mm. um uh, gaining confidence of the task than further along because when you're further along you can't break it down mm-hmm. so I guess I do huh, I actually think teaching is easier <laughs> mm-hmm. as well um or maybe more enjoyable for me because uh, I like to see that progression but it can also be really challenging too or frustrating even for like the teacher quote unquote because you're frustrated when you see people get frustrated and give up on themselves. Mm. And I see that a lot. Mm. And you see it enough that, you know, the trajectory is going to go back up. You hope most of the time it does, but um, I guess it's more interactive. So we were talking about being introvert. So maybe that's one of my like strategic extrovert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to, you know, connect with the person and see. Well, I, I think you're just more emotionally invested when you're teaching and when you're writing, you're not. And, and so that can be exhausting because you're, you're kind of feeling these reflected feelings back at you. And you're also exhausted because you are emoting right now as I'm talking um, versus if I were typing it, you know, I'd type a smiley face. Is my face smiling? No, but I'm smiling in my heart, right? It's, it's different. It's not, it's exhausting. But what I find exhausting about writing is I, 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 I feel that lack of momentum. And so <laughs> I joke, I told my husband, I can see why authors need some log cabin in the middle of nowhere. I get it because one distractions and two, you kind of can adapt more to the pace of writing. I don't care how quickly you type, you know, just getting those thoughts into some real words. I, I type and I remind myself and I'm dating myself. Of, um, I remind myself of Doogie Hauser and how he would write in his journal at the end of an episode. And it's like, backtrack, backtrack. No. Okay. I meant to write it this way. Delete. Do, do, do. So we're going back and forth on the line. And, and that's what I find hard after so many hundreds of words. Where are we at? You know, <laughs> what page is this by now? Um, and actually, I say that in this, this animal's book, because I knew that about myself, um, I created a lot of different documents instead of having one massive one. And so it's broken down. Uh, the book is broken down into more tutorials than Faces was. Faces had a lot of theory because we were kind of putting together what I called a salad bar. So you've got like your base, which is like the shape of the face and you select, "Mm, do I want this kind of vegetable or whatever? And you start building your face with the animals book. There's so many different kinds of animals. I could not approach it the same way. And so what I did was I, um, I broke them into groups. So groups of three, so three animals, let's say wild beasts. And we do, uh, I don't think that's even what it's called, but elephant or lion and you know three of the same kind you get the you get the idea and then we do the tutorials for that so I did each one of those sections in its own word document well it turns out I wrote two books last summer (laughs) and it was so painful to have to uh cut some um but the publisher was nice enough to uh put it together still as a book but these are going to be digital downloads for pre-orders 
to help people, you know, in, incentivize them to really essentially get the whole book or get two books. So, um, yeah, isn't that funny? I, I do find it hard to write. And yet, I guess that's just the whole principle of breaking things down into smaller chunks. You know, how do you eat an elephant? That whole idea a little bit. And then you're just like, I did that thing. Yes, I have 30 more to do after today, but I did the one and we're going to keep going. So. Yeah, I totally get that. I think to me, the, the concept of like writing a book when you think about it as the entirety is very overwhelming. But if you break it down into little chunks and I was actually listening, I can't remember now if it was a book or a podcast or whatever, I can't remember, but mm. you know, the creative process it's not like you're sitting down and looking at this from like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It doesn't work that way. You know, you're doing a little bit. You need to walk away and right. maybe you're going for a walk. Maybe you're making dinner. Maybe you're, I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever, just being. You're still processing and creating and trying to like make those connections to whatever you want to see mm-hmm. um, develop. So it's requires you're saying a lot of emotional energy too to get mm-hmm. to that to that end point and time Definitely. so the log cabin in the woods thing <laughs> people do that for a reason because they need that space they need that time and they need that removal <laughs> from distractions mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't call to me i'm an ocean lover but um and then if you put me by the ocean i'm not going to write so <laughs> there's that uh yeah but I do I get that mm-hmm. I've always grown up around water and being this whatever Semper River is not water like, <laughs> so I I do miss that and yes also loved the I grew up more on I guess it's more mid-Atlantic it's not considered east coast but yeah cool. loved the loved the water loved the coast that nice. is one thing if I were ever to move, it would have to be by some large body of water for sure. That is something I'm definitely missing. Mm -hmm. So people can uh, pre-order on your website then, right? Yes. Uh, And I mean, I'm not going to spout off links. It's just probably easier to go go to my website and figure that one out. Um, It's right in front of you, books. But um, yeah, the first 100 pre-orders I'm signing and that'll take a little rigmarole to make sure the books are here and then they're sent back, but it'll be fun. It'll be worth it. And then with the, these, this content, how many animals is that? I'm thinking at least a dozen animal paintings that didn't make the book uh, to get that as a digital download, I think is a huge bonus. And once they're gone, they're gone. I don't think they're going to be resending those out as uh, free content for anybody who wants it. So it has to be a really gratifying, amazing feeling to see this thing coming out and, you know, making more than one book too, and not <laughs> having all these other forms of it. It's, it, it is fun. It's surreal. Uh, what's really fun is like, seeing pictures of, oh, I found it at Barnes & Noble and, you know, someone in Atlanta or whatever. Or I actually, uh, someone emailed me uh, through my website and she's here in Rochester and she's like, I read your bio because I picked up your book and you're in Rochester. I about fell out my chair. And I thought, yeah, that that would be kind of a weird experience. Uh, Did they find the book in Rochester or no? 
or no, on your, you said, I don't know. It's on Amazon. So if you just search my name, granted, then you got to spell it right, which can be tricky. Um, then, uh, you can see all my books there, pre-order or order, but you'll need to then head back to my website to show that you pre-ordered because the publisher would like to know your order number and make sure that you qualify for all the benefits. Well, I will wrap up from some final questions here. Um, hopefully some fun ones. Um, cool. so my goal for this year is to really work on my mindset, especially being positive. Cause I tend to be more of a negative person. Do it's you okay. You're creative. Any... You're allowed to have some of that melancholy. That's just <laughs> in your good. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any strategies or how, how do you deal with mindset in, in your day-to-day and your work? Yeah. Uh, being a solopreneur can be very lonely. And I can, I mean, I love being a hermit. Like I said, I have to shove myself out the door. Um, I loved grocery deliveries before COVID. That's just, I am such a hermit, but it, it gets me sometimes. And so I have to be intentional in plugging into communities, even if it's just online. And I've learned so much. I mean, just by overhearing a conversation, right? you you pick up on things and you kind of figure out how the world works and and listening to a podcast like that i mean it, like this it just you see the world a little differently uh in the morning um i i get up and i crumble here in front of my space heater uh and i i've thought about having a chair but i really just crumble so i'll just stay on my rug it's um it almost looks like a little Matt, like this is my spot. It's my little worn out spot. And, and that's where I get my heart and mind. Right. I think, uh, yeah, no one, no one parades around with a banner that you're doing great. You're, you're doing things right. You, um, I know it was a rough day, but you had these wins. You have to remind yourself of those things. And so you have to be quiet enough to remember that. Uh, it doesn't just pop up. What pops up is all the negativity for sure. So um, nothing that you've never heard about, right? Like community. Um, some people might call it centering yourself. For me, like I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. So it's my time with God and believing that I am kind of like his paintbrush. Like these aren't my creations. I am a conduit of creativity and, and what a responsibility and honor that is. Uh, and And then just thinking practically, um, I've done a lot more annual planning this year than I've ever done. And it's really actually been surprising to me that it relieves the pressure more, more than giving me pressure. So I have like certain things that I want to do this year. And instead of thinking about them constantly, I know that, okay, well, I put that down for June. I'll deal with it then. And when you look at, I'm, I'm a big believer on kind of observing yourself and you're talking about how your energy levels change and how the creative process is like life encompassing. And how could you ever charge for that, by the way? Uh, <laughs> another um, obscure reference, the movie, The Firm with Tom Cruise, I actually watched it recently for the first time. And uh, he gets hired and his boss is like, you think about the client in the shower 
you pick up the phone. I want that time. We, you know, we charge for all that time. And I'm thinking, wow, what a whopping invoice. What a bill. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Actually, I'm not seeing that movie either. So funny. Um, I've been into nineties movies and I think I'm just kind of like needing to be in a different decade right now. I actually just watched, um, total sidebar, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I, um, saw that Sabrina, the teenage witch was back on TV. Oh, so now I like on like fuse or some weird network. I like binge watch it now. And then I watch the old nineties movie of it. And I'm oh, like, funny. oh my God, like this could never, this would never get recorded oh, today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then so you start like, things that you're like, ooh, that is not sensitive. Not just nice. the way like they, they um, have high school students interact. Like they were me. No wonder I was terrified of high school in high school. Cause mm-hmm. I thought everyone was awful. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, like the siblings in home alone, right? Like they're so mean to each other. And I'm like, boys, you can't be like that. but no I totally get it sometimes you need that escape of like back to a different time and Mm -hmm. even just the way they told stories that would never happen today (laughs) you you, that stuff would not make it on tv anymore no no No. and 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 some is good and some is a little sad but anyway that's another topic I was I was talking about um how if you watch yourself I realized like in the morning, I'm kind of in a certain mode. And my most productive time is 10 to noon. It stinks that that is when my kids are the most productive as well. So I get to, you know, step into that role for now. Um, but then, you know, on Tuesdays, I'm feeling more ready to get creative. Whereas like Mondays, I'm thinking about all the things that I didn't do last week. And so that's kind of not a catch up or maybe a catch up or a beginning of this week. Like, oh, got to seize the week. And, um, and so if you kind of monitor those, those swings, you can set up your schedule that way. So you're not fighting against yourself constantly because it's not the fighting, um, that's hard. It's the exhaustion that comes from it. So then you lose just the enthusiasm to come back at it the next day. Um, so as much as I can, and I mean, I can't control life, but as much as I can, I try to place things in those kind of swings that I know I'm going to have. Like, I know that Fridays, I, I know that I always under quote how long something's going to take. So I try to keep Friday clear on my schedule because that's catch up. That's like, oh, I didn't know I'd need Friday, but there I have to, you know, this is bled into that day. Um, mm-hmm. Just things like that. I love that idea of like centering yourself and quieting down everything so you can understand those things. I have not arrived at that, at that level. It sounds near impossible, but um, yeah, you know, it's, I've also been thinking a lot about habits and how like turning on my space here, turning on this, like, like there's something about like you are preparing yourself to do something. And you do certain things before that. And that's, I don't know, those are like little triggers. So maybe work on those triggers and maybe it'll come more easily. Yeah. So so we're mid-January, New Year's. Do you have any winter traditions, New Year's traditions, anything like that that really kind of call to you that you try and do? Oh, traditions. Um, don't do resolutions, not because they're passe, but because I forget about them. 
I don't do a word because <clears throat> I just kind of feel like I'm too complicated for one word. <laughs> it's so hard. Like it's so hard to think of a word. Yeah. Yeah. One day this word is, that's totally it. And then, you know, the next day I'm like, yeah, I don't know this other word. Um, what do I do? I, like I said, I, I look at the, I'm looking at the annual calendar and especially when, um, you'll start noticing like some things just always fall on the same time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, in my industry, Christmas is in May and spring is in January. And so I'm, I'm creating florals right now for 2022 and, and that for spring for mother's day, thinking about seasons, I, I, I try to, yeah, put things like, gosh, it sounds so businessy, but to think in quarters, because then it's, it's just smaller chunks I can manage. But in January, you know, January is kind of a wash, so I don't put a lot of expectations on January. <laughs> because after the holidays, you're tired, you're in Rochester, you're hibernating in some level, or you're bracing yourself for February. So um, try not to put too much on January. And then September is always kind of like a new year to me, the beginning of school. That's, that's kind of the real new year right now in my life. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I never really thought about that. Yeah, when you're working in kind of commercial art, you're working like four months ahead of trends and seasons. It has to be kind of a weird feeling. It is, but it's you get used to it. And like I said, I can listen to Christmas music. That's fine. I actually would, I I can stay in Christmas right now instead of doing some flowers, but I'll do some flowers. It'll be great. That was my last question for you. I'll end by asking you, yeah, for any final thoughts and where can people find you and your artwork? Yeah, I am at watercolordevo.com. That's watercolor, the American way, O-R. And then Devo, D-E-V-O, that's all one word. Unless you want to be adventurous and write amaryllishenderson.com. Both will lead you to the same place. Uh, I, I do surface design. I paint in watercolor, but I also teach. And so the journey that I've kind of tried to guide people through, um, if you want to dabble and paint a lot of different things and just kind of sit down for 45 minutes at a time, then go to Skillshare. Uh, my profile is Skillshare slash R slash Amaryllis. And uh, then beyond that, I have more in-depth courses on my app. So if you go to the App Store, look for Watercolor Devo, you'll find my courses there uh, or my app there. But um, I'm now doing something that's a little new to me. Uh, started in April of last year where I have a membership that's all video. So if you feel comfortable with video and doing a little FaceTime. It's like doing short snippets of FaceTime to each other. I don't know if you've ever used the the app Marco Polo. Mm -mm. So it's video messaging and you go, you know. I heard of it now that you said that. And so they developed this, uh, this app where it's for coaching. And what I do is that on Mondays, we have a little like, hey, how are we doing? just kind of art swings. How are we feeling? This is what we're going to talk about this week. And then by Wednesday, I post a little video of a little exercise and it's 
should take under half an hour. And then people show me with their camera, just like it's, you know, FaceTime, show me what they've been doing. And sometimes I get little videos of, oh my goodness, I messed up this color. What should I do? And so it's a lot more of a mentored help than watching an online class and hoping, you know, sink or swim. So uh, it's been, it's been really fun. It's a very small community, just a dozen of us. And, and I'm really seeing people grow. So it's, it's just rewarding. It's like just getting to have people kind of follow along with whatever I'm doing and my ramblings. And sometimes I'm in my robe and sometimes I look great because I just finished a class. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a lot more personal, but yep. Go to the website. I think, I think it's pretty easy to navigate. And if not, I am fairly responsive to email because I like to have a clean inbox. So I'm a little more approachable than maybe I should be, but it's fun. It's fun to hear real people um, and get messages on Instagram as well. Well, thanks so much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it and getting to learn more about you and, and your journey. And yeah, I, it was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks so much to Amaryllis for that great conversation today. There were so many wonderful little nuggets in there. I hope each of you were able to take away something that can apply to your stage with your business or life, whatever you're going through right now. So you can find more stories like this on our website at rochesterrising.org. So take a few moments to check it out and learn more about the culture of entrepreneurship here in Rochester, Minnesota. So that's it for the podcast this week. We would really appreciate if you rate the podcast wherever you listen in and make sure that you're subscribed so that you never miss any of our podcasts coming out on Rochester Rising. And we'll see you here next Wednesday with a brand new show.